Malcolm Honline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Appreciate Even that. I'm broadcasting from Baltimore, Maryland. Wow! Where, where we are celebrating the wedding of my granddaughter, Leah Honline, to Brummie Garten House. So we should all have Simchas even in a very difficult time. Amen. And Mazal Tov. And we will add Baltimore to the list of remote NSN studios that are being made available constantly around the world. Uh, so we're in the midst of, uh, well, not we, but our brothers and sisters in Israel in the midst of Operation Shield and Arrow. Uh, there have been many episodes, we've discussed them on the air in recent weeks and months of the enemy uh, showering rockets upon Israel. Why did Israel and its government decide to respond in this way with an official Operation Shield and Arrow um, at this time around and to really take matters into their own hands as opposed to uh, what they've done in the past very often, which was, you know, just wait and see what the enemy would do. Why this week and why this operation, Malcolm? Well, as you recall, it began under the pretext of the death of the Palestinian terrorist hunger striker who... Uh, was warned constantly uh, about the, the danger he was in, refused food, and uh, as have others, and they've used, used it as leverage to get early releases of uh, key terrorists who almost inevitably end up being recidivists. So the, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad launched the attacks, if you remember, on State Road, but they hit civilian populations, often... And we've discussed it many of the times the rockets are fired as a demonstration for the for their followers and the people of Gaza that they are the ones out there responding. But they fire into isolated areas where most of them do no damage. Here they hit uh, homes and stay wrote and they targeted populations, uh, civilian populations. And Israel had no option. Uh, but to respond and to indicate clearly to Islam Jihad that this would not be tolerated. Now, remember, this is not Hamas. And even in the last few hours, they, Israel has reaffirmed that they believe this is only Islam Jihad. And Hamas issued statements saying that if they are targeted, they will respond in even greater, much greater numbers. And they have a greater capacity than Islam Jihad. But I think people are surprised by the ability of Islamic Jihad to fire more than 800 rockets that they even fired the very large one that did uh, considerable damage, including killing uh, one person, the only fatality so far, thank God, um, but also wounding many others and, and endangering the structure of the building in Rehovot. And we're even seeing attacks now in the, against Jerusalem, against Gusev Sion, uh, very limited, but the fact that they um, can show that they have the long-range capacity. It's something, you know, we've talked about where I talked about how they've improved their capacity. It's Iran, obviously, behind them, providing them the technical know-how, even perhaps the equipment, as they are in an even greater way to Hezbollah and to uh, and Hamas has a, a, a greater capacity. And so the, the initial motivation was a response to the attack on State Road, it escalated with the with the Islamic Jihad's responses. Uh, it shows the the breadth of their capacity that they're just not a minor player in Gaza, 
and Israel uh, had to try to eliminate as much as possible this threat. Uh, the the uh, negotiations with Egypt are called off through Egypt's uh, facilities uh, because this is a situation once once there was fatality and the increasing attacks on civilian populations in everywhere, even one came near Bad Ayan and uh, many other places in, in the north uh, or center of Israel, uh, shows uh, that Israel has to continue its efforts. And today they, they, they attack the homes of other uh, pitch leaders. And they've eliminated, as you know, the head of the rocket division yesterday and the deputy head of the rocket division who were responsible for the onslaught, uh, directing it at least. Uh, and they've targeted uh, other of the leadership. You have to cut off the head of the snake. They have to, uh, I think, now uh, really do such a, a com- comprehensive damage to the infrastructure of Islamic Jihad that they won't be facing it a week from now. The, um, the um, Okay, so you've reiterated what we've always suspected because we've discussed that Hamas dominates Gaza. So Islamic Jihad has a geographic position in Gaza. Is Israel able to target them because they have a specific area that they dominate as opposed to Hamas? What is the situation there um, that Islamic Jihad literally could be targeted and, and the other enemy or the rest of the enemies can be avoided. Yeah, and the much larger enemy, uh, uh, Hamas, is, is a much bigger infrastructure, but they they don't want to war in the same way that Hezbollah did not get involved. If you remember all the predictions of people saying, you know, that if there's a thing, that, uh, any kind of a conflict, uh, uh, Hezbollah will jump in, that uh, Iran's foreign minister said it from Lebanon. Right, but, that was, but that was a multi-front uh, projection. No, I'm just saying. That and and Raisi said it last week from Syria, and yet when this front opened up, none of the other fronts uh, responded to it and started attacking Israel, which many people had anticipated because they know what damage and what price they will pay. And people Lebanon don't want it. The I don't think Iran wants to see, Iran wants to see all of that infrastructure that, and investment it made destroyed because Israel will have to. Uh, go in and and do what they didn't do the last time in the war in Lebanon when Hezbollah wasn't part of the government or the government. Um, And my point is that the others did not join in in attacks, not the Houthis, not the the other uh, parts of the axis of resistance, as the Iranians call it. So the Palestinian Islamic Jihad has on its own been able to put up a formidable display of of power uh, launching the rockets. And remember, every time the Iron Dome is uh, fired, it costs Israel a fortune. It's worth it to save lives and necessary. Uh, David Sling was uh, was introduced in this one. So the, the response is to try to limit it to Palestinian Islamic Jihad, do as much damage to them. It's something that Hamas wants to see as well because Palestinian Islamic Jihad is a challenge to them also within Gaza. Uh, are they in a, I'm, I'm just trying to understand. Are they in a better geographic position to hit Tel Aviv, for instance? It's not a geographic. It's not geographic. They are, they are, they are intertwined. Right. They're everywhere, in, and they have outposts. And, and remember, you know, many of the launches of the mortars and others don't take big bases from which to fire. Right. You can do it from a firing pad. Right. And so they can run in, set it up, shoot, and, and leave. Now... Uh, with the with the larger missile, that's not the case, and it's scary to see that uh, they could fire it and, and did fire it. And it 
can do very uh, great damage. So, so Hamas staying out of it tells us that the last time Israel went after Hamas, they must have done a really good job because Hamas never really turns down an opportunity to participate in showering rockets over Israel, right? Right, and also it's a it's a statement to their followers that they are still the major front, which means to me. And this is only my speculation. The people of Gaza don't want this. They, they don't want all this destruction coming down on them because of the adventurism of, of Palestinians and Islamic Jihad. And as you know, the, the uh, like in, in the north, the, the rockets are installed in people's homes. In, in southern Lebanon, for instance, uh, you know, they say there's a living room, dining room, and a rocket room in virtually every house. Yeah. And, the, and therefore... When people ask me why Israel can't detect and just can't do it, because, you know, a lot of these launches are, are places that are, are invisible until they actually do the launch. Uh, but for your question, it's not geographically isolated. It's not a question of a divided country where Islam Jihad has its areas. They have their headquarters. They have facilities. But it's not a separate areas. And we should assume that until now, Israel has not given them the body of Qadar Adran, and they likely will not give them his body. We should assume that, right? Not under these conditions. And as you know, the families are still demanding, and the people of Israel and the government of Israel, and we all demanding the return of uh, the bodies, uh, including Qadar Golden and the two young uh, people who, the men, who've been held for so long uh, that if they don't return it, nothing should be returned to them. And this is a, a growing chorus in Israel of people who understand. I mean, it's the, it's the leverage that they have with them, but they don't care. It's not, there's no humanitarian aspect like Israel. Every Israeli knows names and, and advocates for the return and uh, would sacrifice even for the return. But it, it, it's not true on the other side. The Palestinian Islamic Jihad leadership doesn't they care whether their people suffer and, and to bring all this destruction on them because they think they're immune. Now Israel is showing that they're not immune to it, and that their houses come under attack, and that that is the way to bring the message home clearly and forcefully. Should we assume that Islamic Jihad is going to run out of rocket power soon, or we should not make that assumption? Well, that's a very good question, how they had uh, the stockpiling. But we know that there are tens of thousands of rockets in Gaza, most of them under the control of Hamas. But it doesn't take much for many of the rockets are very simple and very cheap for them to assemble and fire. Some of the ones that we're seeing now are more sophisticated, have a longer range, bigger payload. And uh, it can't be that they have an endless supply but clearly, they've gotten the technology from and, and assistance from Iran, which we've reported on for years. Right. Uh, and, 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 you know, people just take it already as so ho-hum that it's, it's a normal course of events that this is going on. Now we see how, uh, how dangerous it is. And maybe the world will, though unlikely, come to some sort of an understanding of what Israel faces and they all love to see Israel's the laboratory because Israel tests all this equipment, which the United States benefits from and improve their aircraft and all the avionics and stuff that the United States benefits and so do others. Uh, and you have not seen uh, a mobilization. The United States and UK prevented 
a resolution against Israel at the um, United Nations, and both leaders of both countries said uh, publicly that Israel has the right to defend itself. U.S. military people and, and officials, U.K. officials, it would be nice if others would as well, <laughs> <That's for sure. laughs> you know, <laughs> to hear from them. <laughs> but uh, but but you don't see, except the, the media continues, it's one-sided coverage. It's uh, almost uh, irrational portrayal of, of what's going on. It's something we become almost inured to. We get used to it and accept it, but we shouldn't. When they say, you know, uh, talk about Israel's responses without talking about the the initiation and then talk about a Palestinian who died in Israeli captivity without saying that it's a terrorist who killed people who, who was on a hunger strike that Israel tried to dissuade him from. I mean, it's just so distorted and misrepresented. And, of course, the, you know, the, the damage and the terror wrought on Israel. And, you know, many of the people hospitalized, it's not because they get hit. It's the terror shock. And anybody can imagine what it must be like when a bomb explodes right near one of the ministers who was visiting in the state road and it landed 50 feet away. And uh, I was in a circumstance once when we visited Gaza during a, a visit at State Road uh, while there was an assault from Gaza. And I was standing there talking to, to some of the officials and, and some of our people, and the siren went off. But, you know, if you're not attuned to it, it wasn't something we would naturally react to immediately. It sounded like a subway announcement, you know, and I wasn't even clear what they were saying. And all of a sudden, two guys lifted me up, literally. And carried me down to a, a shelter, you know, pushing me towards it. And and literally within three minutes, a rocket hit exactly where we were standing. And I'm telling you, I understand why those people go into shock. So when you read it, this is not just somebody going, wow, look at that, or getting afraid. This has it. It has it. That's why it's called terrorism, because of the terror that, and what it does to societies and how it disrupts daily life and the impact on the children who are again living in bunkers, you know, and having to have a minute, two minutes, three minutes. Thank God the early warning systems are more effective. But try and think of what it would be like if you would have to, that every time you walk on the street, you have to know where the next uh, bomb shelter is. Yeah. In the Rehovot situation, apparently it was an iron dome malfunction. I, I say it that way because it reminds us how, thank God, 99% of the time it's effective and literally prevents people from getting... But, but it was not a malfunction. It was not, it turns out, a malfunction of iron dome. Oh, I thought I read it was. Okay. Uh, so yeah, that- I know. The first the first report's exactly right. And, and there are people who are trying to, to diminish. It is true there were some problems in the initial days with um, the uh, hit rate of Iron Dome. It was like 75%. Usually it's in the 90s. It is much higher, but they said in this case it was not a malfunction of it. Now, it could be that they had wrong coordinates. It could be a lot of things that go into it. Uh, but, frankly, I, I don't want the enemy to, to believe that Iron Dome doesn't really work as well as everybody said. <clears throat> it, and, and, in fact, it does. It's not saying we're covering up for it. It is a fact that it does work. And it, 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 it was not a, a malfunction. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world of web and AlchemSingle.com and the AlchemSingle Network and, of course, in the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Homeline, vice chairman, conference of presidents of major American Jewish organizations. So with all the ceasefire talk, 
Um, and you know that, you know, ha- half of the reports in the Middle East in situations like this are rockets and reaction uh, or rockets and, you know, news of damage. And the other half is, you know, the potential ceasefire. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like we're anywhere close to a ceasefire at this point. We are not. The talks were called off. Egypt is, you know, acts as a mediator and, uh, and which Israel appreciates and we all appreciate the, the role that they're playing. And, uh, and the role also to keep um, uh, Hamas out of it. The, um, but right now, all the talks are off, especially after, the, as I said, the rockets aimed at Jerusalem and Kushetzion and, and elsewhere. Israel can't now sit and, and, and talk to them and say we're going to negotiate. They have to, again, I think, really inflict as the maximal damage with minimal uh, attendant casualties. But it's inevitable in, a, in a, a war situation brought upon Israel that Israel defends itself. And if there are civilian casualties. It's the price that and the blame should be squarely on Islamic Jihad. Yeah. Uh, well, this has certainly taken some issues out of the headlines, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's true. A lot but less. the demonstration is supposedly continuing tomorrow night, uh, which is really uh, says to me that this, it's unfathomable that they would continue. But it shows that the agenda is, it goes beyond just the judicial reform issue when, when Israel's under assault like this. No effort, nothing should be done that diverts the police or military or anybody else away from the central focus. And God forbid the rockets could be falling on, on them. Yeah, wow, that's interesting. By the way, um, I only saw this in one from one source, but I, I would imagine, based on the source that it is, that it's actually true. The IDF apologized for the death of uh, Shirin Abu Akleh? Today is the first anniversary, I think, uh, for, of uh, uh, her death, and there was the first apology issued um so their conclusion is that she may have died, but it was accidental. Nobody, it was nothing, uh, it was not intentional. That's a conclusion the United States' investigation has come to as well, I understand. But certainly the conclusion the Israelis came to. And apparently some media uh, outlets uh, were performing their own investigation into this whole case. Everybody's in so, investigating the UN, everybody. So essentially the IDF has apologized for the accidental, the, for her accidental death. And I, and I assume they felt it was, I mean, look, with Israel, not to be too cynical about, uh, you know, Israel's benevolence, we, we know that they operate in a much higher stand, you know, moral standard than, than any other country. So, you know, I'm not minimizing that. But I also, uh, well, I assume they want to they um, bring across a message that if you're a journalist in Israel, you know, essentially you're safe. And, you know, no one, no one from the IDF is targeting you, right? I assume that's the bigger message here. That essentially is the message and the reason for issuing it. Um, I mean, journalists are safe there. That's why you have uh, more per capita than any other place. And it's because, you know, in many of the other Arab capitals, they don't feel free to be able to report and say what they want to say. Of course, they can in Israel. And um, uh, so I assume this was uh, that kind of uh, the intention of the message was that. Erdogan has a much tougher time this coming Sunday with the election because one of his opponents has dropped out and he was assuming that a couple of those opponents, including the one who dropped out, would be splitting the vote, right? That is exactly right. And this is an interesting issue. I met yesterday with some uh, people from Turkey and official uh, 
And frankly, they all say to me, it's 50-50 now. They'd have no idea what the outcome will be. And you never know what, frankly, Erdogan will do. Will he accept it? If, if nobody gets 50%, which was more likely, as you said before, the dropout of the of a lesser candidate, right. not, a, not the major. Um, but uh, if neither of them gets a clear 50% majority, then they go to a runoff in two weeks. And, you know, the sense is that uh, Erdogan has the ability to control, to object, to reject, to deny the outcome of, of the election if, if he doesn't win. Unless it's a, if it's a very significant victory, I was told, let's say it's a 56% vote, he will not be able to um, deny the outcome. I mean... And then you could likely have, you know, very strong reactions domestically. You know, the economic conditions are terrible. The post-earthquake um, impact is still reverberating. And remember that they, they admit to 50,000 deaths, but the most likely estimates go to 100,000 or more. And the handling of it um, people are very critical of Erdogan's handling of it. And the fact you have a coalescence of these parties, uh, the opposition parties behind a candidate who's not a very uh, impactful uh, individual, but it's the it's the coalescence of the groups as an opposition to, um, to President Erdogan. And we'll have to see whether that, it, it, but you, you know, he also built a sort of coalition, including the Hezbollah party, Oh, wow. Which he says is a peaceful party and not uh, not not to be associated with terrorist uh, Hezbollah, but obviously they hold the same views. And, and, but they and they are less than one tenth of one percent. So they don't add anything. He wanted to build a coalition because the other side had a coalition. I mean, what world leader would deny election results? Come on. It's impossible to think of it, but it's uh, it I mean, does certainly not on this side of the world, right? I mean, come on, would never happen. Yeah. Um, the you gotta. You, it's funny. I was wondering how to ask you this question. Where to start from with this question? I didn't know if I should start with Bernie. I didn't know if I should start with uh, with the with the House of Representatives. You know what? I, I'm going to ask you to just tell it to us from the beginning. What was the story with Congresswoman Tlaib and her desire to hold a Nakba event, which of course is pro-Palestinian and anti-Israel? Yeah, Nakba means the, the disaster, which is the, the, the creation of the state of Israel. And she uh, asked for a room in the, uh, reserved a room in the House of Representatives, of which she's a member, to hold a Nakba event. And Speaker McCarthy um, uh, found out about it. And because he controls the use of the rooms, he rejected it and repurposed the room for another uh, occasion or something. But essentially, he just was vetoing that event. And there was some criticism of it, you know, that we're denying free speech and stuff. And he said, look, we have an ally. It's under siege that this is, uh, we're not going to use this to praise terrorists and, and uh, you know, those who want to destroy the state of Israel. And then Bernie Sanders in the Senate arranged a room instead for them to hold it. And they held the event, obviously did not get much play. Um, but, uh, you know, that it was, I think, and I hope people have let Mr. McCarthy know, Representative McCarthy know 
uh, that uh, they appreciated what what he did and his intent and the solidarity. As you know, he just visited Israel with a rather large bipartisan delegation and made amazing uh, remarks, including a speech at the Knesset where he thanked Israel for the miracle of Israel for what they've done in the sacrifices, et cetera, et cetera. A very moving speech, which people should read. Wow, you're not even emphasizing the whole Bernie angle. I guess I guess you feel I did. Uh, yeah, it, I said. No, but I I'm, mean, what are you going to do? It's that's not a what I'm that no, Bernie I, Sanders would do it. I, you, you, you exactly. Know? That's the, the, <laughs> but that's the just, point. That's the point. Normally, yeah. we would sit here lamenting the fact that a Jewish member of the United States Senate has gone ahead and you know and hosted a Nakba event here. You know, what would you expect from someone like him? That's quite a well, you know, that's quite a statement about him. Frankly, not well, that it's yesterday a, I was in the House and for the Jewish Her- American, in the Senate, rather, Jewish American Heritage Week commemoration uh, put on by Ezra Friedlander and his group, uh, but we had a parade of senators and members of Congress, some of whom are not known for their outspoken friendship, uh, who lined up, and many senators, maybe 20 of them, came and spoke, and spoke about uh, Jewish heritage and the importance in fighting anti-Semitism, uh, and um, uh, some, of course, spoke about Israel, uh, and I think you know we shouldn't let the, the, these these people become the image of the Congress, the, the Talebs and others. We have to fight them. We have to oppose them in their elections and and continue to support opponents who who hold different views. But it's uh, you know it's a recognition of reality. And Betty McCollum uh, also introduced some resolution now, uh, anti-Israel resolution. There are a limited number of people, but they're there. They're very vocal, and they um, they get support, the financial support, obviously, uh, for their campaigns because of their anti-Israel positions. Um, if uh, McCarthy controls the rooms and the locations in the United States House, does the vice president of the United States control the rooms in the Senate, or every committee head, as Sanders is, was able to do whatever they want with hosting an event? I don't know what the rules are in particular. I haven't had a chance to check because the criticism that I heard yesterday was directed at Chuck Schumer as the speaker that he would, uh, as the majority leader, would have control over facilities. I don't know that that's true. Wow, we got to find that. That's interesting. So that's very well, interesting. I, I mean, but but some of the criticism was directed at him and the other leadership, saying that they should have stopped and not. Right. I, I don't. I doubt very much that. Uh, they have the capacity to stop a senator who who has you know they have committee chairs right right yeah so I think, I think they that's host, yeah I think he was hosting it as a committee chair I mean look the chutzpah you know what the chutzpah is you know again as you say it's a minority in the United States House and representatives generally are uh, pro Israel and we get all of that and it's wonderful to hear but the chutzpah here is that it's, it's just not it's not a if you want to run a pro Palestinian event or you know show support for the Palestinian people as she so often wants to do it's one thing but this day this commemoration is literally an anti-israel commemoration that's where you know the whole thing becomes even more outrageous and during the conflict where you don't hear those people having anything to say in defense of israel although the house and others i know most members in the senate and the house have been very supportive and uh, we had hakim jeffries led, led a delegation to israel as well and his remarks were very strong in, in there so and and i think in general the atmosphere, what I saw from the members I spoke to, 
uh, are very supportive of Israel, very concerned about, uh, and they know that this is Iran, and this is, you know, it's a proxy battle for the United States as well. This is yeah. not against the Israel alone. It's it's the war of Iran against the West, against America, against uh, Israel, against some of the Arab countries who can't look at this, uh, you know, with indifference. If we if we saw them covering their options, so to speak, by by uh, you know establishing diplomatic ties and with Iran, when they look at this and see this capacity and see what infrastructure exists around the region. Uh, which Iran increasing controls with and the alliance with China, Russia, and the, all the developments on that, which again get uh, so limited coverage that people understand. I had a chance to talk to uh, somebody yesterday who, who, and you know how often I've spoken about what the changes in South America and the warnings. Yep. I talked to a top military person, U.S. military person, and when you hear their account, they're completely consistent with this about the, the Iranian. Uh, network and, and influence and expanding uh, capacity and, and limited responses and indications from America. We just have to show our allies that we're there, that we stand with them. You know, they, they don't forget that the, there was no response to some of the assaults, whether it's Saudi Arabia and others, when people always want an explanation why Saudi Arabia doing this or that. Just look at the history and, and some of the messages that they feel they've gotten. And not to justify it, I think it's it is a mistake. Right, to, to, of to course. Uh, finally, what can you tell us about the synagogue attack in Tunisia? So this is in the island of Jerba, where Jews have lived maybe from the time of the Churban Bayis Rishon, some say, but certainly Churban Bayis Sheni from the destruction of the temple. Jews have uh, you know spread in the Mediterranean to many different places where they had communities in Jerba. Uh, well, Tunisia had a large Jewish population, most left, but the community in Jerba remained. There's still 1,100 Jews living there permanently on the island, but the population was 10,000 or 15,000. But they have annually on Lagba Omer uh, a big celebration, which came under assault in the past. And uh, we had attacks on some synagogues in Tunisia in the past, terrorists, you know, they, they, they did control the government and, and uh, the government today, there's a lot of criticism because the president made a speech, but no, no reference to the Jews, no reference uh, to to what really happened. And what we know is that one of the guards who had been hired, uh, guard who was hiring, who was hired by the naval protection, um, uh, opened fire, killing one of the other guards. <laughs> and the security was provided for this. There were lots of people there. They came, hundreds came from Israel. Uh, and of course, the population of Jerba itself. This, the Lag Bomer thing, is a very big annual commemoration uh, held there. Uh, and there are historic reasons tied to Jerusalem very high that um, that uh, the, the German Jews um, hold this commemoration. And uh, unfortunately, two Israelis, um, one living in France, one from Israel, were uh, cousins were killed. Uh, several people were injured. Uh, hopefully they will recover. But the fact that the president wouldn't be explicit in his condemnation and, and expression about what took place uh, uh, angered people. There were some subsequent statements by other officials, and they did declare it a terrorist attack. And I'm sure they'll find that this, it's not the guy wasn't isolated, uh, as is usually the case, even if he may, may have made the decision on his own. But they, they did have added security because of the past history that this was a targeted event. 
and uh, regrettably, what is a, a magnificent celebration that was uh, was turned into the terror scene that we saw in the, those pictures. It's unbelievable how it takes events like this, or I should say, episodes like this, for us to discover uh, what kind of significant Jew- significant Jewish presence and historic presence there is in certain parts of the world. Exactly. Uh, lots going on, Malcolm. Lots happening. I'll tell you. I uh, the, the best news that you um, told us this morning, as far as I'm concerned, is that you went to Washington and you're still confident that leaders in this country are still sympathetic to and still have a, a a deep affection for Israel. Because when you see members of the House and sometimes members of the Senate uh, making outrageous statements or obviously demonstrating that they have no idea what's really going on in the Middle East, it can be really disheartening. But I guess you've come across that many, many times in the last many decades. Just now it seems to be so much more acute and because of the media coverage and because of the nature right. of the internet and the ability to tweet out uh, things and to say stuff and then apologize and say well it wasn't what we really meant it wasn't exactly what it said and stuff but you know the, the most effective thing is that that we not be cowed that we'd be standing up that we support the people who are friends of ours that we that we um uh, know who who's on the, which side of the issues that people follow it all the news is available the information is available uh, both here and in, in the print media and elsewhere to follow what's going on these are are not insignificant this is about our future this is about our security this is about how jews are to be treated and the the continued rise in anti-semitic incidents the attacks that continue to take place we cannot become inured that they've just become commonplace and so commonplace that hard it gets reported and the community doesn't react in a sustained way. Thank God we are. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of activity. Um, there's huge amounts of money being spent first on physical security, but also on other ways to counter uh, the surge in anti-Semitism. And the members of Congress who came to speak yesterday, almost all of them, all of them, made reference to this and their concern and the the extent to which they, they now see. And, and it used to be very rare that people would talk about anti-Semitism among some forms of discrimination, hatred, bigotry. And yet we see even government agencies and some of the rules in the universities, the admissions uh, numbers for Jewish students to, to major universities are dropping precipitously. It's a deliberate effort on part of the universities. Uh, it's not haphazard, it's just an outcome. And it's it permeates all of society today. Yeah, no and therefore, question. people got to know and act. No question. Uh, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Mazel Tov again. And we'll speak, please, God, next week. Really. Malcolm Holmline is, executive, is, is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Next week is Yom Yerushalayim. Uh, but if Malcolm's available, I think we'll do a weekly update. I think we will do a weekly update next week because the following week is Shavuos and we will not have a weekly update. So please, God, next week, everybody, uh, on Yom Yerushalayim, we'll discuss Jerusalem and more with Malcolm here on JM in the AM.